I'm sure many of you here know of or remember the radio and TV show Father Knows Best. How many of you know that? Started in the 1940s, then from 1954 to 1960, it was a television show. Can you imagine living up to that title? Father Knows Best. It was supposed to be a comedy, um, but it started to morph into this whole um, thing about father knowing best, waking up in the morning, needing to have the answers, needing to know how everything works, needing to make peace by the end of an episode, needing to do all of this stuff. Can you imagine carrying around that mantle? I know best. Imagine what that might do to all of us, who, of course, none of us know best. So what are we doing asking people to know best? Robert Young was the father who knew best in the uh, TV show. And, you know, great casting. Okay, he looks like he's... he's. And it was an idealized family. And, of course, then, in, the, in that time, there were all sorts of idealized families. It became a big theme throughout early television. You know, people would come and look at this family that wasn't theirs, but that they wanted to just be fed by, you know. I, you know, for me, it was the Waltons, you know, or... Uh, what else was there? Anyone else have a, a TV show, the theme of the... Make room for daddy, the Brady Bunch, right? Leave it to Beaver. Oh, yeah. What else was it? A Cosby. Yeah, Cosby. Yeah. My three sons. Yes, all the the idealized family that we all wanted to live with, too, and that some of us probably felt a little bit of guilt or shame or sense of inadequacy that we weren't quite there, that we weren't what is ideal. So that becomes a tyranny of becoming the best, the tyranny of becoming the ideal. And our collective ego gave it to us, right? We're all supposed to reach this wonderful way of being that can be resolved in a half-hour show or an hour-long show. We're supposed to have the wit. We're supposed to have the the wisdom, we're supposed to have the patience, we're supposed to have the perseverance, we're supposed to not make mistakes that didn't take long to fix. Men and women, we're we were telling ourselves this, and especially toward men, lifting up men in this place of family where they had to be able to be beyond what any of us normally are, right? So what did that do? That could cause loneliness, a sense of failure. You can't let folk know that you don't live up to that, which means you're set up for a sense of failure. So then there's the fear that the failure will be found out. And soon, that could easily turn into rage. Right? We rage out, mad at the world, cynical have to have a sense of grandiosity about ourselves to cover the fact that we're not where we're supposed to be. Grandiosity towards ourselves and to others. And another way to make ourselves feel better, of course, is to put others down. If we put others down, we can feel that we are that better idealized person. So we do that, and men often did that, and women do it too, but often it was to female relationships, to children, 
The way that we can keep patriarchy alive, of course, is to, feel, to make others feel down. So there's sexism, there's ageism, there's um, diminishing children's lives, there's all of that, so that we can keep this idealized cloud of knowing best, right, in our society. So can you imagine, and some of you I'm sure can imagine more than others, what that must feel like, what kind of pressure that is. All this myth about perfectionism, all this myth about protectionism, all this myth about being in charge. You know, when I was researching this fatherhood thing this week, it was hard for me to find a story to share because, you know, you look at, well, you look in Hallmark cards, and there's only a few things that, of course, fathers, you know, you could be funny about fathers. They burp, they fart, they drink beer, they fish, they barbecue, you know, they're bumbly, they've got tools. There's all these, you know, these are the things that we're allowed to talk about our fathers. And in the internet, too, lots of, I was trying to find a reading about fatherhood, and it was often, again, talking about this idealized position, which, of course, every one of us, at one point or another, can reach. Once in a while, we're genius. Once in a while, we're brilliant. So then we put that little thing on a Hallmark card that says, this is who you are, and the person gets into sense, and it's not, well, you know, I would like to be more than that. I would like to have a wholeness about me, but you're not letting me have that wholeness because this is what you expect me to be. This is how you're going to love me and tell me I'm a good father if I'm these ways. And to that, I want to say, let's let each other be human. And I know that there is, you know, I'm not the only one saying this, and there's a lot of changing of the role of fatherhood. Let fathers be human. So I came across an article, How to Be a Father, They'll Fondly Remember, by Tom Ehrlich, Eric, excuse me, it was an article in the Religion News Service. And he gives six, um, uh, six pointers about how we can have a father and be a father that you'll f fondly remember. So the first one is give time. Now, do we let our fathers give time generally in this society? It's important for us to be busy. It's important for us to you know, make more money. It's important to us to build more bridges and buildings. And it's important for us to make sure that we're being um, useful in this society. But the first thing here to say how to be a father to be remembered is to give time. So let us know that within ourselves. If we're going to let people give time, they do not have to be performing during that time. They do not have to be the one to look to. They do not have to be the one that um, has all the answers. Simply give time. The second one was heal what needs healing. And I would say that that's true in ourselves as well as in our relationships. We need to heal our sense of inadequacy. We need to heal 
our anger towards our fathers or mothers. We need to heal all that's going on that makes us say imperfection is wrong. We need to not do that anymore. Imperfection isn't wrong. We need to heal that sense, forgive that sense that there's imperfection. And we also need to heal our own victimhood, you know, the whole... I'm this way because X, Y, Z did this to me, or I'm this way because they want it that way. I'm this way because my boss. I'm this way because my spouse. I'm this way. All of that needs to be healed. Heal what needs healing. The next one that was given by um, Tom or Eric was love each child. Love each child. And that love is not about accomplishment. You know, I don't love you because you play the bassoon well. Love you because you are lovable. So it's about affirmation, to learn how to love simply through affirmation. And affirmation builds on affirmation. It's not about accomplishment. It's not about getting it right. It's not about being the one that you're looked to. It's about affirming that you are Lovable. Period. Number five, live with integrity. And this is a hard one, and then we all need to do that. And part of integrity, integrity does not mean perfection again. Integrity means following through on who you are. So if you stumble and fall, you get up. You're still integrous, even though you stumbled and fell. You're getting up. Your intention is to keep going in the direction that you want to go in. So not so much concentrating on the failures and the mistakes, concentrating on what's wrong, but affirming what's right and bringing that into the whole learning cycle of imperfection to those lovely moments of perfection and then imperfection. And then the sixth one that they said was, that he said was live freely. You know, a reader says her father broke free from a stern, verbally abusive father of aristocratic pretensions and chose instead to show unswerving friendliness and servitude, decided to stop the pattern of stern, verbally abusive, stern, you know, you will be a good person if you do all of these things. All the shoulds that we put on each other. All the, you're imperfect, so you have to do something better than this. All the ways that we thought we should parent, to putting people down to feel better about ourselves and maybe to have them work more towards being a better self. All of that, all of that needs to go away. We need to live freely. We need to affirm. We need to be there. We need to love. We need to give time. We need to heal what needs healing. And we need to love each child. Many of the memories of fatherhood, if you can go back into your own memories, certainly in my memories, the memories that I hold most dear, and I have a lot of different kinds of memories, um, but the memories that I do hold most dear are the memories of the tenderness Memories of the, the memories of the times of respect, the memories of real time together. And sometimes those memories of tenderness 
are lifted up so high because there's so few of them because for generations we were taught that the tenderness really isn't as powerful as it is. But tenderness is the most, is the most powerful relational way of being with one another because it means you're able to be vulnerable, which is far more powerful than power over. So if you can think for one minute about a tender time that you may have had with your father or with a child as a father or with someone that you would say was a mentor, any kind of time with a male that helped you understand the depth of your being through tenderness. You can lift that. Just sit and... Come to that place again. This is where our freedom comes from. And it comes way back to blessed are the meek. they shall know the kingdom of God. To all the memories shared and unshared, may we be grateful. All the playful times, all the loving times, all the learning times. May we help each other feel at risk, unsure, bold in love, ready to meet what is new, ready to be there as a companion, not a champion. And may we love one another as best we can every day. Amen.